anyone who really knows me understands that I'm a very cerebral person. I, uh, I am not a just-the-facts man kind of person. I, I can get lost in my own mind. Actually, anybody can get lost in my mind. But I stay a lot of time there lost. I spend a lot of time in, in my own mind thinking through things. I'm a thinker. And uh, my favorite classes in undergraduate degree were, were taught by Dr. Rowark, Dr. Wallace Rowark. And he was, he talked about the dialectic process of thinking. I like this class because that's already how I thought. That's, that's what I would do because the dialectic says, on the one hand, but on the other. And so you think about all things and all issues and all sides. And so when I begin to think through things, I think of everything. And, and sometimes that uh, sometimes that finds answers to problems. Sometimes that creates problems. But I am very much that person who thinks and says, okay, let's dig deeper. Let's think more. I uh, taught a Sunday school class once that somebody really had a, had a hard time with the Sunday school class. And they said, well, can you come take it over and teach it? Because they're just not doing right. And I walked into the class, and I loved the class. I couldn't help it. Yeah, I didn't mind facilitating it, but they did what I would do. They took the Bible, and they would begin to tear it down and then build it back up. They would begin to look at everything from every side. And to me, that's how my mind works. And our text today talks in the same type of way. We are still here uh, in our series this week, The Rough Red Letters. And this week, again, we are still in the book of Matthew, there in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5. And Jesus has been teaching. He's been telling all sorts of different teachings to the people. He's talked about the Beatitudes, and he's talked about being salt and light. But today, he, in chapter 5, starting in verse 21, talks about some things uh, that are very, very important in our lives, very important in our lives back then. You may be going, what? When I read it, but we'll get to that in a minute. There in verse 21 it says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, You moron, will be subject to the hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him. Or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you're not committed adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as the best of the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for His sake, and all God's people said. Amen. Here, Jesus is speaking of the Sixth and Seventh Commandments. The truth is, we can break this up into two different sermons, and spend quite a bit of time here. There's just lots to unpack, but I believe when you take it as a whole, 
These two teachings have a much bigger meaning together. They follow that same pattern when you look at it. Point, counterpoint, example one, example two, consequence. And so we could dig into each individual sin, but there's a bigger picture at play here. And God uses adultery and murder as a means to talk about sin in general for, for a few reasons. For me, first, I think it most clearly illustrates the destructive character of sin. These two sins are ones that you see that destructive nature. You see what, what can happen because something is killed. Something is, something is destroyed. And you can see that destructive nature in this. But the second thing is it allows Jesus to show his knowledge and concern of relationships in general. Both of these have some relationship aspect to them, both murder and adultery. But three, he takes these two sins that we all kind of go, well, I don't do that. And says, well, you might. That's where it gets rough, right? Well, no, I don't murder anybody. Well, you might. You might. You might not really understand, but you, you don't understand what's going on. So he says these things in this context. And the first thing we begin to say here is that sin begins in the heart. Sin has as much to do with intention as it does with the act. Sin isn't simply, we, we, we tend to water down sin into this. Well, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. How far did you push the finger? That's, that's the real question here. Because when Jesus talks about the intention, when Jesus talks about if you've done these things, there is the intention of the heart. He says murder is subject to judgment. And we all go, of course murder is subject to judgment. If you kill somebody, you deserve to be punished. That's what happens. Murder is something that you should be punished for. But then Jesus goes on to say, well, if you're angry, you're subject to judgment. He says, if you say to someone, Raka, or you fool, you're subject to Sanhedrin. If you pull a Reba and you say, you moron, now watch Reba. Most of you don't have relations, you call morons all the time. He says, you moron, you're subject to hellfire. There's this building up of judgment. There's this stepladder of the sin of anger. There's a textual variant here because it does say in some text without a cause because Jesus even uses the word moron the same, the same Greek word for his religious leaders. But the cause must be just according to God not according to us. So just because I think, well, that was stupid so they're a moron doesn't mean that it's okay. Is that cause just to God? Because God is the one who decides right and wrong. I don't. And so we have to understand that big truth. But then he goes on to adultery and says the same thing. Of course, we all go, yes, adultery is bad. Don't do it. That was easy. But then he says, if you look at a woman, if you look at a woman, to lust for her, you've already committed adultery. What? Now, what does that mean? Just I was a teenage boy once. <laughs> I'll be honest, right? What does it mean? Now that doesn't mean, whoo, she's pretty. Not what that means. It doesn't even mean, it doesn't even mean, oh, 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 you know, it doesn't mean that. Lust means to look at with the intention of, or to look at in such a way that you want to take part in the act. This doesn't have anything to do with seeing someone as attractive. It doesn't have anything to do with seeing someone as pretty. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with the fact of, do you dwell on it? 
Are you dwelling? Are you measuring to tell me well? Lust is when you take the second look. Of course, I didn't always say to keep from lust and just don't look away. I mean, I don't know. Lust is when you take the second look. It's when you it's when you stop to say, hey, I need to look at that again. That's when you begin to lust. It's when you take it a step further. I mean, the truth is, God created us to appreciate the beauty that He's created. There's no reason to, to, to say it. And we live in a society where we have demonized anybody who says a woman's pretty. Which is just that. You know, you don't say that. You stay away from that. You know, I, I'll see former youth post things on Facebook, pictures of their families, and I want to say, man, beautiful. And I'm afraid, well, what's people going to say? Because we have to stop when we think about those things. But what God says here is that adultery or lust is when we stop and we focus and we dwell. That's what we dwell on. Because there's a difference between temptation and sin. We can overcome sin. We can overcome temptation. Which means at some point our thoughts are not sin. But our thoughts become sin if we let them dwell. If we let it stew. That's how anything works in our lives. And so sin begins in the heart. But the next thing he says is relationship is more important than worship protocol. If you are bringing your offering, and when you get to the altar, you remember, my brother has something against me. Leave your offering, go and make it okay with your brother, and then come back and offer your offering to God. If you come to me and say, just to understand, Brother Troy, I tithe, and I come to church, and I pray every day, and I read my Bible, but my life is still just so hard, I'm going to ask you, how is your relationship with those around you? When your relationship with everyone around you, with brothers here it says, when it's that, whew, you're never where you need to be. You can never think straight. If you're angry when you go to worship, worship rarely happens. <laughs> we, we, had some, we had some issues this morning in our house. Uh, with certain younger people. I'm the oldest, I can say that. Uh, with certain younger people who, who did not want to do things a certain way. And so I had to run to Dollar General this morning to pick up this. And when I got back, I almost just came to church when I got out of the car because I could hear some fit throwing going on inside the house. And I thought, man, I don't want to deal with that. Because I'm fixing to go to God's house and go try to praise and try to worship. And that's hard to do when you have anger on your mind. And God knows that because when you have anger and when you have things going on, it doesn't matter how well you do church. If your relationships with your brothers and sisters are bad, you're going to find yourself not getting what you need to get. Because you come and you dwell on those things. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she did that. I wish they would just, and we find ourselves just turning it over in our head. And so when God is trying to reach down and say, man, did you see that blessing I gave you today? You don't even see the blessing. Because you're going, 
I can't believe how bad things are because that gets in the way of worship. And so he says, settle with them before the judge has to. If you have a real dispute, don't go to the judge. Settle with them. Make it right. Do something here because worship is more important than your, your is, isn't as important as your relationships. Your relationships are more important than your protocol. This whole speech on anger is a reference to your brother. Supposedly someone of like faith. How can you, who has received so much grace, not in turn give like grace to those who also have received that grace? Sorry. Told you that way until 1130. I wasn't alive. That's the problem. God has given us grace. We have grace. I've been saved from the place that I was in. And because He saved me, I should be able to give grace to someone else. It doesn't matter what they've done. I mean, we, we have a tendency to go, but you don't know what they did, Brother Troy. I don't care. Do you know what we did to Jesus? And He still forgives us and gives us grace. It doesn't matter. We're told to fix the relationship because relationship is more important than our worship protocol. But then He goes on to say, it is better to lose that of highest importance to you then it lets sin control your life. Because these are rough. If your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. What? What? You know, and you know, people go, but that's that's but Trump, but, but that's that's rough. It's rough. Well, Jesus said this is serious. Because your eyes and your hands are what was usually most guilty of sexual sin. And your right hand, in Jewish thought, was of highest value. Because left-handed people were kind of denigrated to a lower spot. Sorry, lefties. That was just Jewish thought, not my thought. Jewish thought. Just saying. My wife is left-handed, so... Yeah. <laughs> You're right in. But they had, so when you said cut off your right hand, that was the most of highest importance. The right hand they thought was the one that, that held on to contracts. We're told that if we are in God's right hand, we can't be plucked out. It's the highest importance. And so he says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Jesus is saying, this is important. He says, if your sight, if your eyes offend you, pluck them out. Now, when you look back to the, those times, sight was one of the things that was the hardest disability to overcome, right? Because you couldn't work in a very agricultural society. You couldn't do much if you couldn't see what was going on. So Jesus says, if the things of highest importance are causing you to do this, take them out. Because sin is a disease that eats away at the foundation of your life. It's there. And it just begins to eat away at the foundation. It begins to, to drag you down and put you places that you don't want to be. And it will ruin relationships. If you look at falling outs, or fallings out, I don't know how to say that. English teachers correct me later. When there is someone who you have a falling out with, it's never absent of sin. There's always sin on one or usually both sides somehow. Because sin ruins relationships. Sin takes that which may be the most important to you and destroys it. 
I can look back to, to, to relationships that were so important to me in the past that I don't even talk to them anymore because sin got in the way. Because sometimes you can try to fix it all you want to, but they're not going to fix it. And they don't want to fix it. But you can only do what you can do. God doesn't hold you accountable for them. He holds you accountable for you. He holds you accountable for what you do. And so if you go and you try to make amends and they won't take it, you can't be held accountable for their stuff. But when we have a knowledge, the problem is we usually don't go with our hat in our hand to make it right. Well, I'm sorry for whatever I did to make you mad. I know from, from a male husband perspective, that doesn't work very well most of the time. <laughs> if I can't say what it was that I did that made her mad, I'm, I'm still in the doghouse. I need to know. I need to know what I did. And so it doesn't work with other relationships either because some of the time we tend to go in there and go, well, I, I forgive you. But I won't forget. Oh. Now. Jesus. Um. I don't think it's possible to forgive without at least trying to forget. I'm, I'm not saying... We're, we're stupid and, and we just let people walk on us. That's, that's not it. But forgiveness, all while saying I'm going to watch you, isn't forgiveness. Can you imagine if that's what Jesus did to us? Come to the altar. Get grace from Jesus, but I'm going to watch you. And when you lie, I'm going to take back that Hershey kiss. I'm going to take back that, that grace that I gave. When you had that bad thought, I'm going to take back that grace. Forgiveness, in its definition, according to God, is about forgetfulness. And I know lots of preachers who disagree with me on this. But God says, your sins are forgiven and thrown as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. And so, for us to really go and make amends in a relationship means we have to be vulnerable enough for it to happen again. <laughs> Remember that sermon here a little while back when Peter goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven. Seventy times seven. You just keep on forgiving. That sounds stupid to those of us who've been hurt before. We don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Because it's hard. I don't like being hurt the same way over and over and over again. That seems, that seems weak on my part. But is it weakness to be like Jesus? <coughs> this is not in my notes. It's not weakness to be like Jesus. That's the very definition of strength. To forgive us 
even when we keep messing up again. That's, that's, we're supposed to be like Him. And that's what He does. But He says here to these people, it's better to take sin seriously than to underestimate the damage that it can do. Cut off your right hand. Pluck out your eye. Take sin seriously. Because it damages everything. But He also seems to say here that failure to control these sins calls our saving relationship into question. Now why do I say that? You're going, now, Brother Troy, wait a minute. If I know Jesus, I'm not in danger of hell. Right? It's not what we believe. You know, Baptists, we have that doctrine that we call once saved, always saved. Right? That our salvation is permanent. That once we are in... God's hand, we cannot be plucked out. So if I know Jesus, I am not in danger of hell. But both of these examples, he mentions the fire of hell. In both of them. So what does that mean? He seems to be saying that if we don't wage war against these, our relationship with him may not be what we believe it is. We're called to wage war against these sins. We're called to stand against these sins and to make sure that we aren't letting our relationships suffer because of the sin that is infecting this world. That's what we're called to be. We're called to have a different outlook and a different attitude. And if we're just like everybody else, what good is it? Honestly. If, if I get just as angry with everyone around me as the person down the street who never has known Jesus does, what does that do for me? What does that do for the witness of Jesus? And nothing. And that's hard. Because when Jesus says these things, I'm sitting here going, ouch. I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to. I want to be able to be mad when you make me mad. I want when you cut me off in traffic. I want to be able to say the things I want to say without having to worry about whether it calls my salvation into question. And nobody else hears it except for the ones who are most important to hear it in the back seat. Do I war against this? Do I fight against? anger in my life? Do I fight against my thoughts and my thought processes? The words Jesus says here are basically words of war, right? I mean, war against cut off, gouge it out. War against the sin in your life so that your relationships will Because the entire Christian faith system is about relationship. It's about relationship. We are saved as individuals into community. When I say that as a community, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, just because grandma was a Baptist doesn't mean you're a Baptist, it means you came to church. But we're saved when Jesus calls each and every one of us by ourselves. And we're saved into that community. And we're supposed to love each other. And sometimes we let our 
our own selfishness get in the way. Maybe this morning you've been angry. You just been, you just, you don't know. I just don't know how to let it go. It's been on my mind and I can't get past it and I'm just struggling with it and I'm angry and I can't and it's time to let it go. It's time to say, you know what? I want to have full, full communion with Jesus. I want to be able to walk up and hear His voice whenever it happens, whenever He's speaking to me. I want Him to smack me in the middle of the forehead and tell me stuff. And I want to know that it's Him. Because whenever I'm struggling with those things of anger and hatred and things like that, I don't hear Jesus. Because God is light. And He's not going to stay there and be part of the darkness until you come back to Him and start filtering that stuff out. And you're not going to hear it. It's going to be jumbled up and messed up. For us older people in the crowd. Remember AM radio? <laughs> and there's a lot of static on AM radio, right? Unless you get the signal just perfect. That's anger and hatred in your life when you're talking to God. Lots of static. Lots of other things. You need to forgive them. But God, no, we just need to forgive them. You need to forgive them and let it go. But you, I know, no. Just forgive It's amazing what happens when you do that. I've probably told the story before, but I'm going to tell it again because y'all tell me the same stories all the time anyway. Um, <laughs> there was a guy in East Texas. He was an atheist. And he hated the fact that a local church put a nativity set in front of their courthouse every Christmas. So he sued that church. And he won. And that church made it their mission to love on that man. And they loved him. And now he's saved. And he's a member of that church. And he's helping them spread the gospel. That's what we're called to. We're called to live different lives. Anger has no place in our lives. Hatred has no place in our lives. And is that for our thoughts? <laughs> Philippians 4, 8. If there is anything, it's the heavenly stuff, remember? Think on those things. Maybe this morning you're, you're ready to let go of some stuff. Maybe this morning you just want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never taken a step to say, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you've never come to the point where you want to admit that you've sinned. That you want to admit that you're wrong. That you want to believe in Jesus as God's only Son. You want to confess that He's Lord. Maybe you've never been there. Now's the time. It's easy. You just walk out and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. What you pray for. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.